Welcome to Allison's Wonderland. I'm your host, Allison Packard. Join us as we journey through the looking glass and down the rabbit hole into the wild and wonderful world of animation and video games. Hey, do a girl a favor and please subscribe to this podcast and go on iTunes and leave us a good review. If you like the show, please help spread the word. It really helps us to get heard by more people. Thanks so much. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Allison's Wonderland, the show that takes you down the rabbit hole into the wild and wonderful world of animation and video games. You guys, I'm so excited. Our guest today is Thurup Van Orm. So hopefully he'll be joining us shortly. Also, I wanted to share with you guys that I have some very exciting news and I wanted you guys to be the first to know. There are some big changes coming to Allison's Wonderland in uh, 2022, which is, hello, just six weeks away, pretty much. Wait, like eight weeks away. We're gonna be doing a complete rebrand and we're gonna be the, taking the show off Instagram and it's gonna be more of a visual podcast, live streaming on YouTube and Facebook. So I can't wait to tell you guys all about that. But I just saw Thurup just join the chat. So I wanna welcome him in. Mr. Gibbs says you can't wait for my VO animation class next week. That's awesome, are you signed up? For anyone that doesn't know, I am gonna be teaching a animation workshop with Real Voices LA. Uh, Real Voice LA um, next Tuesday night at five o'clock. So it's open to anyone anywhere in the country because it's on Zoom. So I hope you can join us and I'll post a flyer tomorrow for anybody that wants more information. Okay, ladies and gents, put your hands together for the one and only Thurup Van Orn. Hi. Oh my goodness. I have little tiny windows in my studio. Hi. (laughs) How's it going? It's going so good. I'm just turning my volume up. It's amazing. I wish I could show you my tiny windows because I have the same tiny window. And these are actually gigantic uh, windows. I'm just very, I'm just huge. You're far away. No, from them. no, they're they're like they're like a, a foot tall. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> what space are you in right now? Is that your home workshop or? It's my bedroom, which is also my home workshop. <laughs> nice. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, you bet. I've been trying to make this happen for a while, so I'm so glad we were finally able to connect it. People mm-hmm. are saying, yo, it's Flapjack, Flapjack and Little Gideon, Thurup, glad to see you. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in live. If anybody doesn't know what this is, the show is called Allison's Wonderland. It's a weekly podcast where we interview people that work in animation and video games. So happy to have you on. So we can just dive right in. I, I was thinking about this. Actually, I was trying to remember. Did, did I once, were you ever in a bowling league? No, I've bowled like three times in my life. Okay. <laughs> I, was, I felt like I'm, I've maybe met you in real life, but I can't recall when. I think it was maybe um, many years ago. Yeah, I remember exactly when. It was the first Comic-Con that I went to, and you were friends with Kent Osborne, I think. And you gave me a fake million dollar bill and it was so exciting even though I knew it was fake. <laughs> it just makes you feel rich just for a second. <laughs> Do you know what? That's amazing branding even back then. <laughs> I think it was like an advertisement for a cult or something. A um, cult. Yes, of course. Join my cult. <laughs> Three million dollar bills. Oh, that's- well, I really I uh, was having a lot of fun kind of diving into your career and also your life story. And, um, (laughs) you know, the thing that kept popping up was, and I don't know how many of our viewers are going to know, you know, you've been working in animation for a long time. You created and developed the show, The Marvelous Misadventures of Flapjack, 
which turns out was like sort of semi-autobiographical <laughs> based on your own life? Yeah, kind of. I mean, Flapjack was really based on me as a kid and my overexcitement for adventure and getting myself into trouble. And Knuckles was kind of based on who I feared I would become and was slowly becoming. So, yeah, <laughs> What about so now? My did past it, and future. Did, now, did it come true? I'm better than Knuckles. I'm just an old <laughs> Flapjack. To quote Yoda, who says the greatest teacher is failure. I was wondering, the Shell <laughs> Island adventure that you had as a teenager. Can you tell us a little bit about that and some of the lessons that you might have learned? Um, sure. Uh, it's been a while. So when I was 13 years old, my family moved from Northern Florida, Panama City, Florida to Salt Lake City and culture shock. Yeah, it was it was a lot of culture shock. And I hated it. And I missed the ocean. And I read like, just adventure stories like all, all the time and, and in like all the 1800s uh, like going to see stories it's like 12 years old you're a man you're ready to go do some things uh, make some stuff happen so I was like I'm 13 <laughs> I can <laughs> chop um, chop I can yeah totally um so uh, actually I was in uh, the ripe old age of 14 when I was like okay I'm gonna run away there's this little island off the coast um, of Panama City called Shell Island. I'm gonna live off the land. I'm gonna build myself a little hut. I'm just gonna, you know, li live off what the island provides. I wasn't gonna bring like a knife. <laughs> I didn't bring a knife or anything. And so I get there and I gave all my money to a homeless person because I was like, I don't need money for where I'm going. Wait, how, did then, you fly there? How did you get yeah, there? Yeah, so I, I, I worked as a janitor at the high school that I wasn't old enough to go to yet to earn enough money, uh, like after hours to buy a plane ticket. And, th and I didn't really run away. I like told my parents because I needed them to help buy the ticket, but we worked out. We worked out a thing where they were kind of okay with it. Did they um, know you were going to like live on an island or did they think you were going to no. stay with family? They, they, I told them I was going to stay with church friends, which I did for um, a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then, and then I told uh, these people, and, and the dad was like, "Yeah, do it. <laughs> you got this." And, and and so I did. So, so I get to Shell Island, and it's like, it's an ordeal. And I get all my stuff wet, which was like matches, potatoes, and rice, and or no, not there wasn't potatoes because I would have eaten them. It was like rice and matches. And I don't know how I thought I was going to cook them, even if I could light a fire, but the matches were ruined. I didn't bring water, and I there was there's rattlesnakes all over the island, which I did like everywhere. Like all the bushes were just crawling because they didn't have any predators or anything. And then so I, I had the amazing idea to all right, if I'm in wetland, I don't think snakes like water, so I'll I'll build a little shelter for myself. In the middle of this island, there's like a little pond. So, so I built, I started building this little hut with palmetto branches and it was really cute and I was really proud of myself. And then right up behind me in this little lake in the middle, um, in the middle of the island, an alligator pops up, this giant alligator. And I had a stick in my hand and I chucked it at it and then it just went under and I was like, oh, okay, great. Now 
<laughs> that was alligator that I just tried to jab in the eye is going to try to eat me the entire time. So long story short, I was only there for three days, not an entire summer. I was starving the entire time. I didn't have any water. I couldn't sleep because I was just imagining this alligator coming to get me and my ears were like alert and I just like wander across the dunes and like <laughs> looking around and listening. Wow. And, and, and I had imagined and I did like spear Amanda Ray, but it was like, just wow. looked like an alien. And then I felt like really bad because I couldn't eat it because it was just super gross and it made me sad. And then I was ashamed of myself that I killed an animal and didn't eat it. And <laughs> I knew you could eat sea urchins, but I couldn't make myself eat just orange guts. I'd never done it before. So, so I just felt like total failure, like this big dream that I had and this big adventure just was like a total failure. <laughs> and I ended up having to get a job for the rest of summer at the house of beef and seafood. And I would like eat off people's plates. Took them to <laughs> I've done that. To the back room. Um, and when I got back, it was like so embarrassing for me because I told everyone I was going to go on this big adventure. And then like when I told them like the long story, like people were just like, whoa, that's so cool. That's such a cool adventure. And I was just like, oh my God, that was the adventure. That was the uh. adventure. So, so I, I mean, I think I, I didn't see it. I, I, I think like that, that, <laughs> that little adventure really changed my perspective for better or for worse um, yeah. for the rest of my life like both as a storyteller and just like as a a human person because when I planned an adventure or you know telling a story or whatever once things start happening that you don't expect and you don't know how how you're gonna get out of them like that's that's when that's when it gets real. That's when you're in a, a a real story or a real adventure or whatever. So I try to use that in storytelling and for better or for worse, I put myself in some pretty dangerous, stupid situations because I I I need that. I need the like, what am I gonna do now? How am I gonna get yeah. out of this? It keeps you like on the edge of your seat because you don't know what is gonna happen. Yep. So but now you are uh, a dad. Right. So I'm yep. just curious, like, what if your kids were like, listen, dad, I'm going to go live in Catalina Island. I'm going to eat Buffalo. <laughs> That's um, it. Spending the summer doing that. What would you say? I've thought about that a lot and it is uh, <laughs> never going to happen. <laughs> they've learned enough from all my insane stories that they're like, I will never do any of these stupid things. That you do. <laughs> so uh, not an option. Do you watch the show uh, alone? Uh, I think it's yeah, on the History it. Channel. Yeah, it's so good. It's so good, right? You should see if you can get on that show. I, I don't want to be alone that long. <laughs> I know. They have like I the think... family versions you now, maybe. <laughs> or like, what if they had um, yeah, like the animator version? Res resent me for being on it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll draw myself suffering. <laughs> and so then were you jotting down like did you end up jotting down any of the ideas or things that happened to use as stories later at at that point were you already telling stories or was that really the catalyst for your storytelling I think it was kind of the catalyst I did keep really good journals so I haven't gone back and re read my journals but I, I I I was good about it I like the next summer I went and half ran away half convinced my parents that I was going to go live in Mexico for the summer. So that's what I did. I lived in Puerto Vallarta, like my big plan. But 
that fit yeah by myself my my big plan that failed was punta de mita there's like a little point just south of puerto vallarta that i was like it has to have the perfect waves because all of the storms from the south pacific are going to wash up on this point and they're going to wrap around the point and i was like looking at topographical maps it was like before the internet or anything and i was just like this is it this is where the dream waves are and then i never made it there <laughs> Uh, yeah, I kind of want to bring your parents, like, ask your parents what they were thinking. <laughs> yeah, okay, uh, honey. Yeah. They, they were real supportive. <laughs> and, and so it was kind of through some friends um, in Salt Lake City that you coined the name Thurup, is that right? Yeah, actually. So first, first day of school, 1989 in junior high, I was waiting in the principal's office to go to my first class, and there were these... <laughs> There are these girls that were like the bad girls that had gotten in trouble. So they were waiting in the principal's office to, I don't know, be punished or whatever. And and they were cute. And they're like, oh my God, he looks like, it's like that sailor in the movie we watched, Captain Thorpe. Um, and, and the movie's called Seahawk. It was Errol Finn and Flynn. And he had like a skateboarder from the 80s haircut somehow. <laughs> and and then my first my first class, one of them was in my class. So the principal was like, can you take uh, Mr. Van Orman to his class? And the teacher asked what my name was. And she's like, it's Little Thorough. And I I don't know. I loved it. I loved that <laughs> this, this name that these perfect. Uh, these bad girls gave me. And, and Salt Lake is such like a conservative, like everyone you kind of dress the same and same haircuts and everything. And I didn't fit that. So I loved being part of like this. Yeah. <laughs> Alternative underground. Where's your hair? I haven't for a while. I keep thinking about building a half pipe. I started roller skating, which I, is so much more fun to me because like skateboard, like any really good 10 year old can kick my butt at skateboarding. Like they can do stuff that I just can't do. But on roller skates, I can do stuff that you have never seen before. <laughs> And really make up yeah I, the the terrain for like a, a daring acrobatic roller skater like you can do some cool stuff that no yeah no one has ever seen dude i want to go skating with you i love roller skating and even took some roller skating lessons in high school but i, I don't know if i'd say <laughs> daring acrobatic i mean i can uh shoot the duck and uh, roller feet backwards and do <laughs> some minor break dancing as I have embarrassed myself uh, trying to submit to like pro skater auditions and stuff. <laughs> That's amazing. I My dream is to pull off a windmill on roller skates. Like I've tried oh. for so many years and I don't, I think I'm reaching that point where I don't think it's going to happen, but I don't, <laughs> I want it to be beautiful. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm not there. I'm definitely not there, but. If you want it to be really awkward. <laughs> wow, that's so amazing. So when it came to Flapjack, I had heard that Paul Rubens was originally supposed to be, a.k.a. Pee Wee Herman, Pee-wee. was originally going <laughs> to be your uh, lead. And so I was just wondering if you could tell us a little bit about how you found him and why it didn't work out. I love him. He's my favorite. And I didn't think... I think Pee Wee resonated so much and so hard for me as a kid, like being, and it, it's weird. Like, I don't think kids could even imagine now, like pre-internet, but living in a small town <laughs> and being a little weirdo and, and seeing like no one, no one who 
I, I mean, everyone just tried to fit like a certain mold so you wouldn't get beat up basically, at least in the, in the deep South. And to be like a weirdo who's like, I just don't fit in with all these people. And then seeing like someone on TV that's like really fun and funny and like, I want to go, I want to go to Pee Wee's Playhouse. I want to hang out there every day. So I, I loved him. I just like, I, I felt like he's my best friend on TV. <laughs> and so, and I met him a couple of times when I went to CalArts. He was around occasionally. Like teaching? Or... No, fundraising, I think. Hanging he's out? The president of the Alumni Association, Association. So I don't know, planning adult things, <laughs> adult benefit. But so, so he was my first choice for his voice. And I, I don't know what happened exactly. So he wasn't going to show up that day. We called, like we were waiting We called his agent and they were like, Oh, I thought he was going to come tomorrow. But I, I kind of suspect my producer, Jackie Buscarino was like my best friend. And I think that she secretly down deep knew that I wanted to do the voice of Flapjack. So maybe she did that on purpose. I don't know. I should ask. Her. We've got Jackie coming on the line right now, Jackie. <laughs> but either way it worked out. I mean, it was, it was a dream come true to do Flapjack's voice. And I think, I think it was unique and it was sincere most of the time because it was me in my real life. Uh, I'm glad it worked out the way it did. Although I never got to hang out with Pee Wee Herman. <laughs> hey, it's not too late. You just gotta have him star in your, a new show or something. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I should. But it seems like it was really kismet that you ended up voicing that role. Just absolutely. Could the show, I mean, I'm sure the show would have been great with him as well, but would it have been as iconic and as heartfelt? And, you know, I wonder if it would have resonated with everybody. Prior to doing the voiceover for that, had you done any voice acting before, like in college or anything like that? I mean, for films at CalArts. So at CalArts, you make a film every year and everyone like does everything themselves. So, I mean, that's why I love animation. It's all the stuff that I love to do all stuck together. So I love doing the voices. I love doing the art. So I did my my films. I actually made a terrible, terrible flapjack film uh, while I was at CalArts. Okay. And then, but I did the voice from there and then I took acting classes and stuff at CalArts which I loved. Got it and so was the team and Cartoon Network like yeah sure it's your show or did you get any pushback? I think that they were I think they're just like okay whatever <laughs> I think yeah. they gave us so little money to make that um, show that they're just like okay yeah whatever you want to do <laughs> just just don't bother us. Because you started as an unpaid intern at Cartoon, Cartoon Network is that right? Uh-huh. And just wow, sort of you did your homework. Got in. <laughs> yeah, actually I, I couldn't get a job, so I kept like pushing them to start an unpaid internship just so I could get a foot in the door. Which worked. worked. They did it and I got in and then yeah, pretty pretty quick was able to transition in. Although I, I think I tried to get in for voice acting before I Actually, I think I, I was taking a bunch of storyboard tests and then I met Colette Sunderman and she was very nice to me. And, and she's like, we got to help you get a job. And I was like, oh, I do voice acting, which now in hindsight, I know everyone she knows tells her that all the time. And her face yeah. just dropped and it was just like, like no, hey, not that. No. <laughs> Did she direct, yeah. was she, who was the voice director on Flapjack? No, it was, um, oh man, I'm blanking on his name. First season was... Oh, man. Quick, somebody Google it. <laughs> Adler? Uh, Carly Adler. Yes. 
Charlie um, so he, he did the first season, and then I just did it after that season oh, two he's... and three. And... Yeah, he directs Rugrats. Yeah, so, I mean, how did it feel then when you were suddenly went from the unpaid intern to having your own show? And... It was super exciting. I, I think in the same way that, in the same way, though, that, like, I don't really see failures as, like, a failure. It's just, like, part of the story. I Even the successes, like, you get a show, you don't really, there's never, like, a moment where you're, like, I did it. It's, like, okay, you get to make... Uh, you get to storyboard a uh, pilot, then you get to record a pilot, then you get to like get a pilot animated, and then you, you get like just tiny little baby steps along the way. So it it was very exciting that a thing that I made most likely will get on the air, but it you know there's never that moment where it's like nailed it. it. <laughs> yeah, actually, um, maybe actually, this is that moment. As I look out through my tiny windows. King to follow I survey. I, I did have a moment though where I was like completely broke from making Flapjack because they didn't give us any money to make any of the show. But especially so you were investing pilot. your own money. Is that yeah? So yeah. so I I animated at, at Screen Novelties. Let me come use all their stuff and make the opening title sequence, which was just yeah out of my budget, out of my tiny amount of money that I didn't have. So like even eating was hard. And then, and then when I went to Korea to oversee the animation, they flew me first class. And it was like, I was like, looking up, like, how much does a ticket cost to fly first class? $6,000. I could have eaten like <laughs> a thousand dinners with that money. Throw that me in with so, the bags. Give me so helpful. Yeah, I felt like a hobo. I felt like Beverly Hillbilly sitting in first class, like super poor with like torn pants. You're like um, stuffing the salt in your pockets. <laughs> the little I pe- Can I get more butter? Uh, thank uh, you. Totally. I took those little salt shakers. I was like just filling my pockets like freshly baked cookies. More please. Yeah, I filled, I filled all of my luggage with <laughs> free, free condiments. <laughs> and so did you realize that the show was a hit? Like at what point did you realize the show was a hit right now? No, <laughs> it's a hit I don't know it was it was very exciting to see like like the internet was just starting so like people people were posting like fan art and stuff on on deviant art so exciting and like just to see all the really messed up drawings was so cool and that's when it was just like people like the thing I made uh, and seeing like billboards and stuff like family members like distant second cousins sending themselves taking a picture in front of a a billboard or something for Flapjack was super rad. Then taking a picture on their Palm Pilot and like sending it yeah. to you. Yeah, probably just taking like on film and then scanning it and then <laughs> uploading it for two hours to email. Yeah. Wow. That, that was amazing. So I guess, you know, I'm curious as you built this career for anybody that is looking to create their own show. I mean, I I saw a few people in the comments saying like, I want to do that, or I want to work for Cartoon Network. Do you have any, you know, do you think your path, I mean, everybody's path is so different, but do you have any advice or things that you've seen holds true, not just for you, but for other show creators? I'm getting distracted by the comments. Thanks, Andrea. Advice for creators. Um, I, I think I think the thing that I, I learned a little bit on the late side was, you know, 
being brand new to having a show and being like pretty new to animation and wanting it to be like uniquely my thing. I think on the art side, I tended to hire people who would just like do what I said, <laughs> who are pretty new. And I think like in hindsight, I, ideally for sure, the best thing to do is hire people that are better than you at all of the things. Like find people that you like really identify with what they're doing <clears throat> and does the thing that you want it to do and just let them like push it. And I think that was the case with the storyboard artists that I brought on like Penn Ward, who'd never worked anywhere before, and Pat McHale, and J.G. Quintel, and Mike Roth, and John Infantino, Ken Osborne, like, a, a lot of them, it was their very first job, but I knew that what they did was amazing, and they had s stories that had never been told. I I, 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 I tr kept trying to get uh, Penn, Penn Ward, who created Adventure Time, a job, and no one would hire him because it was so specific what he did, but mm. man, yeah. <laughs> He's not. Uh, yeah, he's amazing. All of them. I, the, the whole crew of Flapjack was just uh, incredible, incredible people. And are you still in touch with JJ and Penn and Pat and Rebecca Sugar and everybody? Yeah, I mean, everyone's busy, so kind of, but I, I love them all. <laughs> <laughs> and how's it and, been seeing their careers flourish over time? Amazing. It's so exciting. It's so it's so weird to like, it feels like a second ago that I was the unpaid intern and now like to know all of the people who are making all the cool shows is, well, that's cool. <laughs> that's awesome. So how did you go then from working in television, doing TV series to your animating, animated feature film directorial debut for Angry Birds 2? So when I went to CalArts in 2000 is when I started, that was my plan was to go into features. Um, <laughs> actually, the, the first day of um, orientation, they had us go around. And I think it was Carlos Ramos, who's an amazing artist and animator. He's like, all right, everyone go around and say what your name is and say uh, what you want to do. And everyone was like, I want to be an art director. I want to be a director. And he would just laugh at us. And at the end, he's just like, you know, I'm laughing. None of you guys are going to come out of CalArts and be a director. Like, this is this is how it goes. If you're going to be a feature director, you, like, you work for 15 years as a storyboard artist. And then if you're lucky, they make you a head of story. And then if you're lucky and you bust your ass, then they let you direct the movie. And I was like, all of us, all of our dreams were just crumbling. And I was like, I don't have 15 years in me. <laughs> to do storyboards, I'm not gonna, I can't do it. So, and then I found out, oh, a TV show, you have a quicker route to having more creative control. And so I, I, I switched my goals around real quick just because I have so much ADD. There's no, no way that I could hold down a stable job for 15 years. Yeah. So, so anyways, so long story, but I don't know. Once, once Flapjack went and Adventure Time, I was lucky enough to be part of that because Penn is a delight. And then just, I mean, slowly inched my way into features. I, I did storyboards on the Trolls movie, like, so First, many years ago, before it was the uh, amazing Trolls movie that it became. But there was, like, a bunch of old... There's, I'm sorry, reading the comments again. There's, <laughs> there's a bunch of old iterations of the movie. I think it took, like, 15 years to make Trolls. So I worked on a, a version of that, and one of the producers, Aaron Warner, liked me, and I liked him, so I helped him out with projects. And then when Angry Birds came along, he's like, hey, how'd you like to direct some birds? 
So I directed some burbs and it was really hard. <laughs> yeah. I mean, cause you're, you're going from 2d animation to then CGI. What was that like? Was it challenging? Uh, I'm sorry. Reading comments again, because singing killed my grandma from Trolls movie. It's super funny. So going, it, it wasn't the 2d to 3d that was hard. That, that part was amazing because when you send things overseas, at such a low budget on TV shows and it comes back like you're lucky if a walk looks like they're walking and not like swimming across the ceiling or something. <laughs> so to get to work with animators who are like the best in the world. Our animation team from Sony Pictures Animation in Vancouver, actually it's people from all over the world, but like each one of them could win Academy Awards with their acting. They're just unbelievable actors and then they can also do the technical stuff and like not just make someone look like they're walking or whatever, but like so specific and add so much nuance that it, it will make you cry and does make people cry is amazing to me. But so the positives are enormous going to features because you can, you have the budget and the time to really like hone things and make them beautiful and funny and perfect and like, you're you have to bring in a much bigger audience because it's like so much at stake so much money is at stake these things cost like millions and millions of dollars so you can't just like come up with, with a stupid idea off the top of your head like you can on tv and like it's on the air a few months later after everyone <laughs> like works overtime to get it on air but but yeah features you can really hone things but there's that limitation like creatively it's you're honing and sculpting and not just like coming up with crazy things um, and like laughing and putting them in and then it stays forever. It's like a very like controlled plan. And that was a big thing to get used to. Like TV shows, you could just do, you know, really whatever you want. And Less, like, yeah. And for Flapjack, our budget was like 50 cents. So they didn't care. Like it's like, just do whatever you want and you could really like have such a niche audience and you know try stuff and for you know first job to be able to try out all kinds of crazy <laughs> crazy things that no one else would do is amazing you know some of it worked some of it didn't work but that we had the freedom to just try stuff was yeah amazing so then did you find it kind of limiting working you know having so many people depending upon choices that you're making and a whole studio with a big budget and a marketing team to kind of check in with was it limiting it felt limiting at first at first it felt like you know you'd come up with a joke and you'd think it was so funny and everyone would laugh and then you'd like put it in the movie and execs would say like whoa what is this joke explain this joke oh it's we, we thought it was really funny it's funny yeah. it would be like well where have has someone done this joke before Oh, nobody. That's why it's a farther. That's why it's a joke. But it was like, you you need to know what type of joke this is and like why it will work. But but once once you start testing and audiences laugh and you start getting good numbers, then then it, everything changed. And it was just like, okay, we trust your weird sensibilities oh, for, the yeah. mo for the most part. In a weird way, it's almost uh, good training to be able to justify your choices and be able to explain why why things work yeah totally and and i i mean i love it i i have a tv show that i've been wanting to make but i'm i'm so in love with being able to work at sony specifically christine belson the head of sony animation is amazing and like sees the value in making original content which is huge and something you know most of us 
animation directors never thought we'd get to do. So easy for a studio just to buy a property and pump some money into it and make it. It's cool to be able to have someone who's smart enough and has good enough instincts to take a risk, like brand new things that no one has seen before. Do you feel like we're in a golden age of animation or particularly shiny, metallic? I don't know if it's gold, is it silver, <laughs> is it uh, bronze? Do you feel yeah. like a good time to be in this industry? Yeah, I mean, it, it's amazing. Best time since uh, I've gotten into it, just between streaming services and the pandemic and the only things that <laughs> the studios could make were animated. I mean, there's such an amazing array of such different stuff inside job that just came out from Shion is amazing adult stuff all of the stuff that you know the the super adult like Rick and Morty stuff is so good the really heart stuff this amphibia amphiboland amphibia it used to be amphiboland I, I did the voice of the main character for a second it's so amazing and sincere and owl house so good there's just so many good things on it's amazing and everyone's just you know making it really personal which is all the best stuff yeah. So, you know, obviously Gravity Falls and Adventure Time, you and the creators of the show have a shared history. But for shows like Rise of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, who you voiced Todd, how did uh, that come about? Do you have like a VO agent? Do you uh, audition? Or is it more like somebody's like, oh, little Gideon, let's put him in. How does that work? Um Hey guys, this is Allison Packard. Sorry to interrupt, but I just wanted to let you know that if you like the show, please, please, please remember to subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us to get heard by more people. Thanks so much. <laughs> I do have a voiceover agent, but they stop sending me stuff because I never do auditions. But, but I, I What's do, that like? <laughs> <laughs> it, it's hard. That is a hard job, going to auditions all the time. I did it for a minute and I was just like, nope, this is... <laughs> this makes me too, feel too bad about myself but because I don't get like you do I, I only get them when it's like my friends uh, so I knew Aunt Ward from CalArts and Andy Soriano I'd worked with so I don't know they just were nice enough to cast me I guess they needed a creepy nice person and they thought Thurup <laughs> <laughs> typecast again <laughs> That's great. This next question is a little ADD, but since it came up and you were mentioning that, do you feel like you have ADD? Is that like a, is that just more like a personality type? Cause I also was like diagnosed with ADD as a kid, but like not really, they didn't really know what it was. It was ADD, ADD, not ADHD. Yeah, now it's ADHD. They it was like it. not really, they're like, it's not really a thing in girls. You know, it's like sort of this. Yeah, you're lucky version. you got diagnosed. I, I had to go to a psychologist, but then it was never, it was never treated or anything. It would have probably been useful to have some tools to deal with that. But as there's been such a push for, towards neurodiversity and so much more awareness around different learning skit types and everything, I was wondering, do you think ADD and ADHD could actually be a good thing? Yeah, totally. It's like a superpower. So yes, I have ADHD. I got diagnosed when I was a kid and my mom was like do you want to take medications or anything I was like no go to a doctor no way so I didn't but my sister who's I'm 45 my sister's a couple years younger than me she just got diagnosed with ADHD for the first time and it's just like it's been mind like life-changing for her to know what was going on and be able to take Adderall like just a tiny tiny bit of a, a, amount has like fixed all the things that she's been like trying to rein in 
I I didn't. I, I have taken a few Adderalls. It's just, I think my brain has rewired like how to navigate the world. And they've found, I, I think most people in animation probably have ADHD. It forces you to think more creatively. I think a lot of people in voice acting have ADHD because it's like, you can come up with stuff like, a thousand times faster than most people because you know that's how you navigate the world you have to think of creative ways and you have to be engaged so you have to find ways to make yourself engaged and that's like so valuable i i like to be able to have a job like ours like for voice acting you have to come up with things super quick on the spot and the things you got in trouble for in school just like blurting out something funny <laughs> Like suddenly you're getting paid for it and no one else can do it. And directing a movie like, or, or TV show, like you're like never sitting down at a desk, which is awesome <laughs> when you have ADHD, but it's like, you're talking to these people and like quickly trying to figure out like, oh, what if we did this and this and this? Oh, here's an idea. Oh, I don't know if it's quite the right idea, but blah, 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 blah. And then you go to the next place and like, like you're just moving around, like be, having ADHD. That's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. <laughs> like, people are laughing and like you come up with ideas like together but it like enables people to like brainstorm and yeah what most of, of the people you're working with having ADHD it's like all of class clowns on the back of the class got to sit together and come up with their own curriculum and it's awesome <laughs> yeah it's really it, it's it's amazing how I forgot what I was gonna say <laughs> I forgot what I was gonna say <laughs> oh, oh my god Oh, it's, <laughs> it's amazing how this industry and like what we create and creativity in general, it's almost like with neurodivergency that maybe these things are superpowers and even something like autism being able to be hyper-focused on a particular industry or a particular area of focus is just, it's really inspiring if we can maybe look at it from all the positives that it brings us. And, and yes, um, at times, if it's standing in the way of what we're trying to accomplish, treat it as needed. But it's so cool. So many people on the feed were also chiming in with their ADD and stuff. So, yeah, there's some of the best storyboard artists I've seen are pe kids because they're younger than me, but people with autism. It absolutely is a superpower and minus sides to everything. But the pluses are gigantor. Gigantil. I want to save a couple minutes at the end for um, audience questions. And if anybody has a question for Thurup, I've written down the few that were submitted in, in um, advance. We're not going to have time to get to all of them. I'm sorry. We just, we only have an hour. But if you do have questions, throw them in the box and we'll try to pick, pick ones that seem engaging. I did. I did. Somebody was asking uh, about breaking your leg at Mormon camp. <laughs> I think. That didn't come from my research. I, I'm not going to tell that story. It wasn't okay. Mormon camp, though. It was when you're 19 and you're Mormon, you, you have to go on a mission. I mean, they say you choose to, but you don't really choose to. And I was in Paraguay, and <laughs> I, I'll, I'll save that story for another time. <laughs> back uh, in the next incarnation. And then <laughs> I also, I see you've been kind of like building this amazing house, and you've been posting some pictures on your Instagram. Can you? Tell us a little bit about that and that process. Um, sure. So uh, my aesthetic is Middle Earth modern. That uh, in and of I, itself sounds a little ADD. It is. Uh, I don't know. I love, I love making things. I've always loved it. I grew up in the woods in Florida and love exploring the woods. I love like incorporating design and 
like really wabi-sabi natural design sensibilities, things that look worn and weathered and like a medieval farmer made them. That's what I enjoy making. <laughs> and and that's what I enjoy using. And it's, I don't know, to like make knives that you use every day to make dinner and breakfast is like, feels so good. Or to drink out of a glass that you blew. I don't know. It feels, it feels, <laughs> it feels good. It feels like I can do it. Yeah, <laughs> I made this. How do you balance your time then creatively? Because I feel also the same. It's like there's so many things. Like I want to learn how to like, like draw. <laughs> like I want to learn like digital painting. And like I just there's so many things. I feel like the older I get, the more the more I have to make tough decisions on how what I create and how I spend my time. But because creativity kind of needs space for the magic to happen. And I feel like you have so much magic in your life, and you are so creative. Do you ever find it challenging to decide where to put your focus? No, I think having <laughs> having lived with ADHD for 45 years, um, I, I guess I know my patterns. And it, it does get tricky because, like, I do want to – I want to do everything. I want to make – no, I want to be able to make anything. And, and it's tricky and it's expensive to, like, <laughs> buy the glass blowing forge or – you know, setting up a blacksmith shop was you know, not not free and woodworking and stuff. But I I think like I found like oh I can go rent space at a glass blowing place and and try it out. And if and if I want to do it all the time, then I'll go down that road. But I I don't force myself to like I feel like I should create it. I feel like I should learn how to do this thing. It's either like I'm I'm either so consumed that I just have to do it. So I just find myself doing it um, until <laughs> until I, you know, have to come in for dinner to tuck the kids in or to do my work. But, you know, I don't, I, I feel compelled to do all those things. It's not like I feel like I should do them. I just can't help it. Do you ever feel um, you don't have enough time to do them all? I don't know. Time, time management. So I, like, I, I've learned if I don't get like really far on something where I'm like so excited about it within like the first day of doing it. I know like I'm not going to do a two month project where I'm working a little bit on it every day. That's, <laughs> it's just not in my wheelhouse. So I've found like my aesthetic of like, really, I, I can make them fast. I can make things fast or make a part fast. And so I'll just do that as quick as I can. And then ADHD will kick in and I'll do 40 more things and then I'll circle back and I'll finish it later. Or if I don't circle back and finish it, like, all right, knitting is not my thing. I don't, I wish that I could knit. I wish that I could crochet. Um, I don't feel compelled to do it. So, and I, I just won't, I won't sit and um, knit and stitch regardless of, of my want. So <laughs> that's out. That's in the it's no, do, um, no do pile. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're working on now, or is it under wraps? I mean, you mentioned you're working for Sony. Um, yeah, I'm writing uh, and directing a, a movie at Sony. It's an original. I can't talk about it, but I'm excited about it. <laughs> but it's going to be awesome. <laughs> okay, well, then let's go. I, a lot of people in the audience questions. The first question that was asked is, is there going to be an Angry Birds 3? Do we know anything? There, there, I, I'm going to get myself in trouble. There okay. is sometimes talk of it. 
we'll see what happens. <laughs> That's very general. I think that you are off the hook. What about, okay, well, who's your favorite character you've ever voiced? Do you have a favorite? Who, if so, who is it? Oh, for sure, Flapjack, because it's yeah. me. He's my baby. But I'm really proud of uh, little Gideon, and I'm uh, very grateful that Alex Hirsch let me do his voice. It was so fun to do a bad guy, especially especially a bad guy from the South. Now, uh, this is normally the point where I'd be like, do you feel like doing the voice? But I don't want to uh, embarrass. I've been embarrassing myself all my life. Mabel, my little marshmallow. I'm the king of all I survey. That's it. That's, that's lucky. <laughs> Thank you. Jeez, some, somebody really cute wants to know what happened to Black Forest. I don't know what that means. Oh, so Black Forest was a thing I uh, posted stuff about. So after I left Cartoon Network, I developed Black Forest and pitched it around a little bit. I developed it as a movie without really knowing the movie world. I, I redeveloped it as a show called Northwoods that I developed at Disney and I own it and I've had offers to make it and I'm slowly working on it in my spare time so it's like if i get fired from somewhere then i'll, I'll make northwoods like in between um, the hobbit door and blowing glass you're like yeah i'm writing it and i'm writing it as a movie and then a series afterwards so i'll be prepared with both but it's it's like something that i just naturally fall into doing because i love it and i'm proud of it so i'm i'm very excited about doing it but i also don't want to like quickly make it somewhere because it's my only option. I want it to be a gem. So um, bite in my time, but I am working on it. And thank you. Thank you for being interested. I'm very excited about it also. So we didn't quite dig into this question, which is how did you get the role to play little Gideon on Gravity Falls? And what did you think about playing the character? Was it sort of more of the same? They just invited you or? Yeah, Alex Hirsch was, did storyboards on Flapjack and he went Disney, got his show. And I think, I think he wanted someone that can sing. He was probably disappointed in my singing, but I sang all the time on Flapjack, um, just like in the hallways and at my desk and at everyone else's desk. And I think he wanted like a little musical televangelist. Oh, thanks, Allison. Um, different Allison with weird spelling hey girl <laughs> other allison with other weird spelling i totally forgot what i was saying <laughs> that's okay that's okay i know we're, we're so yeah alex hirsch was like burp's a little weirdo you will do great at this job <laughs> and you did <laughs> and uh, it was so exciting for me to go from like super innocent flapjack to little little bat evil bad guy it was like <laughs> yeah crazy crazy gratifying Oh, we didn't really talk about home adventures with tip and O and infinity studios asked, did you enjoy the show? I'm sorry. Did you enjoy it? The movie, I guess, before working on, yeah, we started working on the show before the movie was out. So, so they had me and Ryan Kriego who I developed it with the show and, a couple weeks ago. Oh yeah. Cool. Yeah. I, I didn't watch it. I'll go back and watch it. Yeah. They had us give notes on the movie and stuff. So we were seeing it uh, as it went, which is cool. Amazing. Let's we just got a couple more minutes before we wrap it up, guys. Do you know if Flapjack is ever going to come to DVD? I don't think anything will ever come to DVD. <laughs> Are DVDs like done? Do people buy DVDs? That's uh, right. Yeah, but I'm for sorry. the collector. Pro probably people love them. I, I have not have a, had a DVD player in 15 years, so I don't know. 
Maybe they'll make records, phonograph records. So we ta we did go over a lot of these great questions. And this is a really fun one because I know originally we were going to do this at four o'clock because you have rock climbing, but we we were able to get it in. So what do you enjoy about rock climbing? Can you talk a little bit about that, Poppy? Yay. Hey, Camille. I think, yes. So as I mentioned, my personality and habits lead me into like scary situations that I don't know if I can get out of and it's I'm drawn to it it's like part of my personality and it's like rock climbing is a safe-ish way to do that where I can get myself into like terror terror mode and not know I'm gonna get out and then get out like a bunch of times per climbing session so it's like the the terror and then accomplishing a thing is like the best feeling in the world so I, I love it it's very healthy is the outlet is rock climbing like just because like we'll go hiking and then end up like rock climbing rocks is that rock climbing or is rock climbing like you need the gear you need to be like doing knots it, like can i tell can i say like the other day i was like i went on a hike but we ended up it was a stream and it was empty and so we we're like climbing these crazy rocks and then i was like i went rock climbing <laughs> and i was like you well, went scrambling i went scrambling scrambled um, unless you're a maniac and you claimed like crazy stuff. <laughs> it was pretty crazy, but, but... <laughs> I don't know what's your definition of ma your definition of maniac might be a little different. <laughs> I mean, that's uh, as a teenager, that's what I, I did. Stupid, stupid stuff. Like if Alex Honnold couldn't really climb and climb the stuff that he did, that's what I was trying to do as a uh, teenager. But yet now I do it safe with ropes and stuff. Fun. Is there somewhere in LA that you go? Is there, do you go to Joshua Tree? I, I love Joshua Tree. So I live in Ventura. So instead of my commute to LA every day, I, <laughs> for three hours, I get to go hiking with my dogs in the morning. And then I go rock climbing at night at the gym. And there's also like great outdoor places around Ventura and LA and everything. But there's Boulder Dash is the climbing gym in Ventura that is delightful. And it's don't don't come out here, guys. But <laughs> Everyone's really nice, and it's like <laughs> older you know, the, the only social interaction that I get during pandemic time. So it's been, I don't know, it's like my family over there. Yeah. Well, we're um, at seven o'clock. This has been one of my most fun interviews, getting to know you better. And I just feel like you're such a kindred spirit. And I feel like I could chat with you forever, but I want to be super respectful of your time. So thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you so much, Allison. It was super fun. It's been great. Anytime there's anything you want to come back and chat about, we have some, we're going to be shifting it up going off Instagram and then becoming more like a real regular podcast woo -woo. in a studio, hopefully in 2022. So cool. Woo -woo. Let's go real rock climbing outside. Yeah. That sounds amazing. That would be really fun. Uh, we should do it. Yeah. We have a little travel trailer. So we're always in Ventura, Santa Barbara County and the last Padres national forest. So fun. Woo -woo. Everybody says, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This was Yay, great. Thanks so much guys. Okay. Have a wonderful day. And if anybody wants, I'm going to go over to TikTok. I, I know you guys have been asking for a couple weeks. I'm going to go live and we can hang out there and do a recap. So I'll see you over there if anybody wants to join me. Okay, guys. Talk soon. Bye.
Thanks, thanks, Alice. thanks for tuning in to Allison's Wonderland, where we explore the wild and wonderful world of animation and video games. Please remember to subscribe and leave us a review. For more episodes of Allison's Wonderland, please visit us at www.allisonpacker.com. See you next week. <laughs>